Do you see that person standing in front of you as a person or do you see that person standing in front of you as merely a representative of a group? If you can see the person standing in front of you as an actual individual, then you can probably do godly things. But if you classify people or lump them together, then the kingdom of God will probably not flow through you very well. Christ is risen. 
Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. 
Good morning, Blue Water. Join me in prayer. Our artists have been painting from life. And as we continue our service and bring our lives before God, let's meditate on the same scripture that our artists had meditated on. The unspiritual self just as it is by nature, can't receive the gifts of God's Spirit. There's no capacity for them. They seem like so much silliness. Spirit can only be known by Spirit. God's Spirit and our spirits in open communion. Spiritually alive, we have access to everything God's Spirit is doing and can't be judged by unspiritual critics. Oh, Father in heaven, uh, we thank you for your Holy Spirit. We thank you for opening our eyes to see the things that you are doing. We thank you that we can gather together and worship you. And Lord, we confess that we haven't seen things uh, totally by your Spirit, that we've seen things by our human nature. And Lord, we pray that you would sanctify our minds, our thoughts, and our intentions as we go with you and worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey there, Blue Water family. Welcome to our Sunday service. It's so good to have you here today. And uh, I'm here with some exciting news. There are some big changes afoot. In the wise words of a 1970s show I used to adore, The Brady Bunch, when it's time to change, you've got to rearrange. And the first way I wanna point out an awesome new change is our brand new website. Lila Watt has laid down her life, one of our wonderful leaders uh, at Blue Water, and created this website over the last year and a half. Uh, she's worked with her husband, Kwok, and Jordan, and Keith Hamasaki, and it's incredible. When I saw this website, I thought, oh my gosh, we do a lot of stuff. How do we do this? At Blue Water, we don't do anything half-hearted. And you'll see that as you scroll through the pages of our, our small groups, our outreach ministries, our prayer teams. Uh, and this new website is really a brand new front door. We'd like you to share it with your friends. It's a great way to invite people who don't know about Blue Water or don't know about Jesus to find out about real life-giving community. Uh, and the first way that you can get involved in that is to go to the donation page uh, because that's how 
uh, members and regular attendance at Blue Water support our ministry. So we thank you for that. Uh, go to the donation page, or if you want to do it old school, you can still do that. Put your check in the mail and send it to our offices. The other huge change that's happening, uh, it really uh, is personal to me because over the last year and a half, I've had the great honor of serving as our interim Keiki minister. And we've been on a, a search for just the right person to fill that spot. Well, great news is we don't only have one person who's coming in, but two brand new staff members. So today I am totally thrilled to introduce to you Connor Hendricks and Rolo Bright. Welcome, Connor. Thank you. Hi, everybody. Say hi, everybody. Here's Rolo. Hey. How old are you? I'm 28. I'm 32. What excites you about kids ministry? Well, it started with having kids of my own. I just love doing family. As I've been growing with the Lord and just learning how much family is important to Him, it's something I have a lot of energy for and it's really exciting. So youth ministry yeah. was like really key for yourself. Yeah, if it wasn't for my youth ministry, I don't know where I would be now. It really set me on a journey that eventually led me to being with youth with a mission and then now here I am. Um, I know that there's another really key person who has some questions for you. So oh, I'm gonna okay. invite that person right now to come on up. So okay. sit tight oh. and it'll be okay. Right. Hang well, on there. Well, see ya. Yeah. Hi. Hello. <laughs> I have some questions for you. Okay, sorry. Okay, number one. Could you do cool tricks and stuff? Cool tricks and stuff? Like like magician or like I Could tell you do jokes? A flip? A flip? That doesn't seem safe. You know what? Maybe maybe later. Maybe later. <laughs> What's the timeout policy? I like having timeouts. I call them coffee breaks. I leave all the kids in one room and then I go get a cup of coffee. Caramel macchiato or like cappuccino? Yes, how did you know? <laughs> My mom's favorite. Okay, all right. Do we get to put you on a timeout? If I misbehave, yeah, but I won't. We'll see. Do you give us coffee? No way. You guys could give me coffee though. Tell me an adjective for what you envision future middle school and high school ministry to be like at Blue Water. Active. active. Yeah, yeah, it would be active. A lot of activity. Well, what's your favorite song? Do, 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 Henry. That's kind of it. And uh, what sort of things do you like to do for fun? Um, I love to surf. Uh, if I have a free minute, I'm usually in the water. I love music and eating. Delicious was probably another adjective that I would have for describing the kids' ministry, but... <laughs> Not eat the children. No, 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 no. Eat, together. Yeah. eat together, eat with children. Okay, yeah. What kind of snacks are there gonna be? I prefer more chips than nutritional stuff. Okay. I see where you're coming from, and I think you make a good point, uh, but probably a combination of both. So I can offer a multi-course gourmet snack program, vegetarian, or gluten-free if you need. Oh, I'm not vegetarian. All right, I can make it taste good. I'm good. Okay, cool. What is the schedule? What is I vote more games. I'm all for that, games all day. I don't know if you heard my active bit when I was being interviewed by Sonia. You did? Did you like what you heard? Can we play basketball? Dodgeball. I lost my paper, so. Oh, 
You have to ask me questions now. Okay. Um, what is the last thing that flew into your eye? A fly. A fly in your eye? Okay. For me, I think the last thing from Iowa was some guacamole. I was mashing it up and just boom. Did you out. wash it out? I did. It kind of felt nice. It was warm and soft. I might do it again just for fun. Maybe that could be one of our activities. Are you knuckles? <laughs> That's brutal. <laughs> It was so much fun news, and we're so excited about what kids' ministry and youth ministry is going to look like in the future. Let's just seal this time with a word of prayer, and at the same time, pray for our kids. Kids, can you all stand up out there? And we're going to bless our kids and uh, Connor and Rolo. Lord, thank you so much, because you love us in an unfailing way, and you love us young and old, and you see us all as your kids. And you especially love the kid kids. So God, we just pray for um, our children, uh, babies to high schoolers. We pray your spirit would be on them today, uh, that you would make your presence known in a powerful way deep in their hearts, surround them with your love. And Lord, we pray for Connor and Rolo, that you would bless these guys and their families, Sarah and Malia and Indian Phoenix. God, you bless them. Fill them with your power, your vision, open their understanding to the next phase of this ministry. God, thank you for your provision. Thank you for what you're gonna do uh, in our kids and youth ministry going forward. We pray in Jesus' name, and everybody says, Amen. Amen. Probably how we all would all feel towards each other in the kingdom of heaven, how we should all feel towards each other is like, like, family you know or like someone that you really really love and care for like a really good friend most crazy about the kingdom of god is that it it even includes those people that you know might be out to uh harm us right like the kingdom of god still has a place for the um the aggressor the kingdom of heaven is really about forgiveness and, um, you know, not taking things um, yeah, too deeply and holding grudges. Um, it's more about like love and um, unconditional love. Acceptance rather than judgment. It's a place that's unlimited rather than limited. Like when it comes to time, resources, um, it's a place of enough versus like um, the spirit of the world to me is like never enough. In a really selfless way, it's thinking about um, what others need and how we can partner together or encourage each other um, or listen or provide, um, provide for each other. Culture is, is kind of hard to define really, but it's easy to feel because culture is so pervasive, it's so atmospheric. It's, it's, it's the broad self-reinforcing uh, constellation of values and expectations and, and habits uh, that provides the context for our relationships and our philosophies and our identities. The main thing about culture is that it's 
everywhere, everywhere around us all the time. It's coming at us always. It's constantly reinforcing something in our lives. Accordingly, we really help ourselves when we build a godly culture. And it's worth noting, I think Satan attacks people mainly through cultural influences, which is to say he attacks people mainly through group opinions and expectations. We are beginning a sermon series on culture and the current culture wars. Uh, I'm thinking about culture a lot these days because I think our culture is in the midst of in the most epic domestic upheaval uh, in America since probably the American Civil War. I think the domestic upheaval that we are experiencing is greater than that which we saw even in the 1960s. In the 1960s, you kind of had mainstream culture and then you had this counterculture that emerged. And in my opinion, that counterculture, the 1960s counterculture, brought some good things into society eventually by bringing pressure at the edges. Unfortunately, I think that counterculture also brought a lot of bad things into mainstream culture, but it was sort of counterculture pressing on mainstream culture. These days, our main culture is split right down the middle, and that's different than it was in the 1960s. People talk about the big social drivers, the big three, money, sex, and power. And right now, our culture is having big upheaval in all of those areas where money and economics is concerned. We're talking about the difference between the value uh, of socialism versus the free market. And we are arguing contentiously and legitimately uh, about that is the, the best way to understand life, really, our association with an economic class. And that's really being debated in America right now uh, at the most intense level that it's ever been debated at, uh, in my opinion. Uh, regarding sex, well, you know, we've been fighting about sexual morals intensely since the 1960s, uh, but, but now, uh, We've gone like beyond sexual morals and we're fighting about the nature of sexual gender uh, itself. We've reached a new plateau where power is concerned. Power is always contentious in any sort of, of society. But my concern is that we've got large groups of people that are more concerned about power, about agenda, than they are with truth and facts. Uh, there's a famous quote from Adolf Hitler uh, he said, it's not the truth that matters, it's victory. And I'm seeing a little of that today, I'm afraid, in different areas of society, in the media, in the courts, in our education system. It seems to me that often people are being completely political and agenda-driven instead of being objective and truth-driven. And it is bothering me a great deal. Stuff like morality is always under attack in society, but right now, even how we conceive of morality is under attack in society. Are there such things as moral virtues in which we can all trust together, or is morality just an expression of some dominant class or some dominant race designed to subjugate all those who would disagree? 
People are talking about that very seriously right now in our public discourse. And we have the big crises in the world. We have the virus crises. We have the attending economic crises. We have the huge race crisis in our own country. And in the middle of all that now, we begin the presidential election season. And we have two camps representing values that stand in greater contrast, I think, than at any time since, well, again, probably the American Civil War area, era. <clears throat> and there's this division among the camps, and then we come down to the individual presidential candidates. And of course, I would encourage all Christians to pray powerfully and sincerely to bless both Donald Trump and Joe Biden, because one of them is going to be our national leader uh, in the next four years, and because God loves both of them deeply and God has a purpose for each of them in life. I don't mean to sway anyone's opinion about the candidacies. Uh, I don't mean to stump for either one of them. What I'm saying is it's a strange political moment in the United States of America. Things are a swirl. But the big reason that I'm concerned about the culture war that we're having in the political moment that we find ourselves in is because I'm concerned about what it might do to you faithful Christian. There is such gravity in culture that I am afraid that many will be taken out by the cultural tides uh, that we are seeing today. And, and this has to do with uh, groups. Uh, the world is screaming at you to belong to one group or another to align with this group or that group. And it is difficult to do that well today. There's always a danger of groupthink in cultures. There's always a danger of peer pressure and, and, and the ruinous effects that it can have on an individual life. Uh, you veteran Christians out there, think for a moment over the years, think about how many of your Christian brothers and sisters that you have seen drift away from Christ for, for no reason other than uh, they got involved with a different social group, with a non-believing social group. Maybe it was an activity group. Maybe it was a, a surf group or a hiking group or something like that. But they found something in the peer group uh, that invigorated them and sadly caused them just to drift away from Christ. Have you guys ever seen anything like that from something as mild as just involvement in a social group. Well, that's just a social group. <clears throat> the, the groups that we have today are far more passionate, far more emotional, far more consequential, and, and they are screaming at you to fall in line, uh, to be a part, and to take sides. This is dangerous because all Satan needs is for one group whether it be a, a cultural group or a political group or a, a social group or a religious group. All he needs is for one group to have more influence over you than Jesus does. And then, bang, he's got you. That's it. That's how it works. And that has been his strategy you know, for, for millennia. Um, so... 
That's my first concern. My second concern is that in the midst of this culture war and the passions that are a swirl today, I am concerned that we Christians will get mad at each other, uh, which is another old satanic trick designed to obliterate Christians. Here's how it works. Typically, if you're following Jesus, <clears throat> you don't get in trouble because you reject Jesus. You get in trouble because you reject other Christians. You get mad at them for some reason. And then in rejecting some of your Christian brothers and sisters, you kind of accidentally start to reject certain things of Christ that you shouldn't reject. And before long, you have been watered down. Before long, you become weak and Satan can pick you off. You know what I'm saying? How many of you have seen something like that in the church over years? Many times. Give me an amen. amen. We don't reject Jesus. We just reject other Christians when we get mad at them or when we disagree with them about something. And somehow we end up rejecting Jesus even though we didn't intend to do it. That's the power of culture pressure, peer pressure, group think. And we have seen it take people out. And I'm a little concerned about that right now. And then thirdly, I'm concerned that we Christians in the midst of the cultural upheaval will lose track of the culture we are supposed to cultivate and spread, which is to say, I'm afraid that we will lose track of kingdom culture in the midst of the upheaval in worldly culture. Um, so in this sermon series, uh, I want to do a couple main things. Uh, number one, I want to, I want us to understand the force of culture in our world, the force of culture itself, of the atmosphere in which we live. And I want us to understand what's happening with culture right now, because there's a lot happening. And then secondly, I want us Christians to understand kingdom culture and to trust it, even with all of the stuff going on around us. Because Christianity, Christian values, and Christian community has historically been a massive social good in the world. And we don't want to lose track of that. We don't want to distrust it. We must trust our own message, especially now. The word of God is powerful and it does not change through the seasons. And if you doubt it, or if you lose track of it in the cultural swirl of today, then you will get taken out by the culture war. And uh, as a pastor, I, I'm concerned about that extreme danger. So as we go through this series on culture, think about it. What's the difference between kingdom culture on the one hand and various worldly cultures on the other hand. And if you had to spread kingdom culture in this world, how would you do it? What would you want to spread? How would you go about it? Uh, I would like to uh, take a look at uh, our scripture for the day. It comes from Mark chapter eight. It begins with the familiar story of Jesus miraculously feeding a whole crowd of people uh, with just a, a few loaves uh, of bread. This is actually the story of Jesus' second miraculous feeding. In the first one, he feeds a crowd of 5,000 men with the little boy's lunch. 
Uh, and in this one, he feeds a crowd of about 4,000, uh, which with just a, a, a few loaves of bread uh, that the disciples uh, had uh, with them. And uh, we pick up the story in uh, verse 8 of chapter 8 in Mark. Uh, you know most of the story. We pick it up. The people ate and were satisfied. And after, the, disciple, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. About 4,000 men were present. And having sent them away, he got into a boat with the disciples and went to the region of Dalmanutha. The Pharisees came then and began to question Jesus. To test him, they asked him for a sign from heaven. He sighed deeply and said, Why does this generation ask for miraculous signs? I tell you the truth, no sign will be given to it. Then he left them, got back into the boat, and crossed to the other side. The disciples had forgotten to bring bread, except for one loaf they had with them in the boat. Be careful, Jesus warned them. Watch out for the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. They discussed this with one another and said, It's because we have no bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, Why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? Twelve, they replied. And when I broke these seven loaves for the 4,000, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. He said to them, do you still not understand? And then that story ends there. Do you still not understand? I think that's a hilarious way for him to end uh, that passage because it assumes that, well, we understand what's going on there. And it's always struck me as a fairly challenging story to understand in all of its layers. Uh, it's clear by the end of the story that the disciples have somehow missed something important that happened during that day. And it's sort of a, it's sort of a comical situation. Jesus has just fed a crowd of 4,000 people with seven loaves of bread. So he has provided for the masses with meager resources plus the power of God. It is a tremendous miracle of justice in a certain way, of, of, of equity, of, of provision uh, for, um, for those in need, and a very encouraging story about the heart of God in that respect. But in the boat, the disciples are freaking out because they only have one loaf of bread. It's not enough to feed everybody. And they're worried that Jesus is angry about that, which is kind of funny, right? Because he's just fed a crowd of thousands with a few crumbs. And now the disciples are stressed out that he's mad that they won't have enough for lunch themselves, something like that, right? Get it? So kind of weird. Obviously, they've missed something. But right in the middle of this, the thing that Jesus is thinking about is this strange interaction that he has with uh, the Pharisees. And here's my, my quick exegesis, my quick exploration and explanation of what's going on here in this story. Jesus has just cared for a whole crowd in a miraculous, very personal way. He takes the resources of a few people 
and he shares it out miraculously, in the kingdom of heaven, what you have is somehow always enough. Uh, a great kingdom principle. Uh, the main thing about crowds, Jesus implies in the story, is that they be cared for. It's the main thing about crowds. You care for them. You know, you don't try to keep them. You don't control them. After he takes care of them, he dismisses them. He sends them away. Uh, his work of provision uh, is done. <clears throat> and he gets in a boat with his disciples. They paddle uh, uh, some distance so they get some space from the people. And then this group of Pharisees come and interact with Jesus. And the Pharisees were sort of a fundamentalist, uh, revivalist religious group of the day. They appear often in the Gospels as veterans of the, of the scripture uh, will know. And they are uh, frequently arguing with Jesus. And they ask for a sign, uh, a messianic sign. So, well, can you prove to us that, uh, that you're you know, our Messiah, uh, that you are a worthy leader. Give us a sign. That's kind of funny. That's kind of weird because he has just miraculously fed a, a crowd of people with a few loaves of bread. So that's a pretty good sign. That's a pretty good signal that God is with them, but it's not, it's not the right signal as far as the Pharisees are concerned. You know, they're basically asking him for you know, signaling is a form of, of, of virtue signaling in a way. Like, yeah, sure, sure, you don't kind of things, but but are are you our guy? Are you our guy? And Jesus is like, yeah, you guys are always asking for stuff like this. Look, you're not gonna get it. And he gets back in the boat and he takes the disciples away. And Jesus is still thinking about that. And what he says to the disciples is very instructive. He says, "Beware the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod." The Pharisees were a religious group. Herod was uh, the Jewish king, but he was a puppet king of the Romans. Herod was a political player. And he was kind of, in a way, aligned with the other main religious group of the day, the Sadducees. They were kind of like the humanist political religious group, and the Pharisees were like the fundamentalist religious group. And Jesus is saying, look, guys, beware the yeast of the Pharisees and that of Herod. The yeast is a little tiny contaminant. You use a little bit of yeast and it leavens the entire loaf. It's a, a little thing that can grow to have a huge influence. The Pharisees represent religion and Herod represents politics. What Jesus is saying to them is like, guys, you know, we're dealing with crowds now. Here's what I want you to keep in mind. Beware religious groupism and beware political groupism. That stuff can start small, but man, it can take over. Stay focused on God. I think that's kind of what he's saying to them in this, on this tumultuous day. Um, <clears throat> he's cautioning them not to play the group game. Uh, he frequently cautions his followers to beware fear of man. Beware of what people think of you. Beware of what groups think of you. It shouldn't be that important to you. And if it gets even a little bit important, man, it can take you out really quickly. It can blind people to the truth of God. Instead of talking about how God provided for masses of people, the day takes a twist 
and people end up talking about whether Jesus is, is uh, approvable or not. It's a very perverse twist in the day, and Jesus is just sighing in the story and shaking his head. It's like, man, you guys are so blind to what God is doing right now. You know, you're thinking more about your alignments and your signaling and stuff like that. You get it? And you can kind of see why I think this is a potent story for uh, the politically charged times that we are in. If, if you could generate and command a crowd like Jesus could with great power for provision as Jesus showed, would you be tempted to control them with religion or control them with politics? Or would you merely just teach them to follow the Lord and be on their way? And Jesus has an opinion on that, obviously. It just takes a little yeast. Jesus is always using that phrase in, in the gospel, a little contaminant. It just takes a little bit of religionism. It just takes a little bit of politics. It just takes a little group think, a little fear of what the group thinks, and it can wipe you out just like that. It can blind you to what God is doing just like that. Uh, Jesus frequently gives us lessons like this in the course of, of the Gospels. Have you ever been at something big like a political rally or a big protest or something like that? You ever been a part of something like that? I have. Um, and, and the whole point of things like that is what you might call the power of togetherness. And if you're in a big rally uh, where people are, are trying to, to do something together, it is a powerful experience. And the thing is, I think it can be powerful for good or it can be powerful for ill. It's just powerful, you know? And Jesus is saying, just, just be careful. Just be careful with big moves like that. Uh, it's hard to disagree with a crowd. It's hard. You know, atmosphere is a big deal. The herd is a persuasive thing in the world. And Jesus is constantly cautioning his followers, think for themselves, keep track of what God is doing, not what different groups are, are thinking or are wanting. Um, there's a diagnostic question in all of this for me, and it's something like this. What group do you want to be identified with? Or what group do you want to be identified as rejecting? Think about that. If you have a strong answer to that question, beware. Just be on your guard because that can go, go badly uh, in, in a sudden sort of way. Groups of any sort uh, usually try to influence what you think uh, by shading your perspective in some way. And in this faith life, in the kingdom life that we are living, the main point to belonging to any group should be to spread the kingdom of God in that group. That's your mission. That's what we should all be about. All the more so today because the world is trying really, really hard to get you into groups right now. The world is trying really, really hard to get you to be on a side. Okay, 
all right, you know, decisions need to be made. But just beware, Jesus is saying. Just, just, just a little caution there, because if you buy into groupism, you know, if you let the group just have a little too much influence, just a little bit, just a little yeast bit, that can really cause you to lose track of what God is doing in the midst of the crowds, of the grand works of miracles and provisions that are going on right in front of you. And Jesus says, man, do you have eyes but don't see, ears not hear? Have you lost track? Well, this is one thing that can make us lose track. And we humans just have to be very aware of that. And we Christian humans especially much. You know what I mean? Amen. Uh, and, you know, there's a lot of group and cultural turbulence in Jesus's day as well. And that's just the word that I want to stress today in this contentious time in the world, in this series on culture and on the, the culture wars that we are in. You know, we'll talk about what, what culture does, or at least what it should do. And we'll talk about what God's plan is for world cultures, because that's a big and beautiful thing, in my opinion. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the bad and the good cultural forces of today, what they are, and what makes for godly culture. And we'll talk about the big cultural pillars. We'll talk about, uh, you know, money and economics and sex and family and power and government. Uh, but I want to start the series with just an inoculation for us. Uh, and, and that's simply beware of groupism. Uh, beware of the power of group think and group pressure, which comes to bear on all of us all the time in different ways. Uh, and, and you can think about your own behavior and how you are metabolizing it right now. Is the person standing in front of you a person or is the person standing in front of you a representative of a group? You know what I mean by that? Are you seeing the person or are you just seeing their alignment? That's a big question in the world today. Uh, that person on Facebook, you know, that post that you're looking at, is that a person to you or is it just one of them? You know what I'm saying, right? Because social media amplifies the effect of group thinking in a way that is just all out of proportion. Social media makes group opinion seem way more valuable than it actually is. It is a, it's a bad form of coaching by and large. Uh, if you can see persons as persons, then you can always do godly things in that moment. Uh, if you see persons as members of groups, if you lump people together, then the kingdom of God will probably not flow through you very well. That's just a reality of, of, uh, of the Jesus way. Jesus always saw people as individuals in the gospels. Have you noticed this? There is story after story after story about the way that Jesus does this. He disliked the groupism of the Pharisees. He disliked the groupism and, and you know, and the political factionalism of, of Herod and the Sadducees and stuff like that. He, he did comment on that, but he repeatedly 
honored individual Pharisees in the gospel stories with tenderness. He would converse with them openly and sensitively. He would go eat at their houses and socialize with them, even though they were Pharisees, because he saw them as persons. Uh, he was constantly being asked to reject the group of Roman oppressors uh, in the Gospels. He refused to do it, and we get to see him interact with individual Romans in a way that was rich with service and tenderness and, and, and shepherding as he did miracles for them and works of salvation for them. Uh, so too, the way that he glorified Samaritans which were a religious group that were ostensibly on the outs with the Jews, the way he interacted with Canaanites, those foreigners, uh, those, uh, those border immigrants, but he treated them as honored individuals and did miracles for them. So too, the way that he treated treasonous collaborators like tax collectors uh, in contentious political times, uh, so too, the way he interacted with socially undesirable prostitutes and beggars. We see Jesus constantly treat those people as valued individuals. He saw them in a certain way. He saw them through God's eyes. So too, the way he interacted with women who were in some ways his main supporters and some of the main heroes of the gospels, even though the class of women were looked down on in his society. So too, the way that he honored and interacted with children who were considered a subclass in his society in that day. Jesus always saw the person. And I just want us to be very careful to do that in these days because I think it is an inoculation against all manner of disease, against contaminants that can sneak in in small portions and then take control in big ways. I was uh, rereading uh, a little uh, Viktor Frankl uh, this week. Viktor Frankl was uh, a concentration camp survivor. Almost his entire family was killed by the Nazis. He would go on to become a very uh, famous philosopher, neurologist, and psychotherapist, um, uh, founder of the uh, Logotherapy School of Psychotherapy. After he got out of the concentration camp following World War II and it became clear to him that most of his family had been murdered by the Nazis, somebody asked him, so do you hate all Germans now? And his response was, why should I? There are only two races of men, the decent race and the indecent race. He insisted on judging individuals by the content of their character and not any other sort of affiliation and uh, he became a powerful figure without, uh, for that. Without grouping people, right? Without groupism, um, there's no racism and there's no classism and there's no eliteism. And I wouldn't mind that at all if that's what the world were like. You know, groups are a reality of life. Groups are often okay, you know, they're often good. There are all sorts of groups, right? There are language groups, there are uh, cultures and subcultures, which are groups in the way, and they can be very cool. There are experience groups, you know. Just beware of making too much of them, is the Jesus teaching. Beware of, don't beware of groups, beware of groupism, if you're following what I'm saying, because that can be toxic. Uh, one of my favorite authors, C.S. Lewis, uh, suggested that the desire to be in the right group 
the desire to be in the right click is the way I believe he said it, might well be the root of all social evils. A broad statement from an insightful thinker. The yeast of the Pharisees, the yeast of Herod. And the best way I know to inoculate yourself against cultural pressure, peer pressure, group pressure, all these things that we're talking about, the best way to be an individual before God, which is what we are all called to be, is to treat other people as individuals before God. That's the best inoculant I know. If you want to transcend and to minister and to provide justly for the masses in the midst of this upheaval we're in, then beware of the powerful, swirling cultural influences of the day and beware the yeast of the Pharisees and the yeast of Herod. Uh, God help us to navigate well and to spread kingdom culture on the earth. Uh, Father God, um, we are called to uh, be in the world, uh, but to be not of the world. And I pray that you would just help us to nail that, particularly right now when the world needs otherworldly influencers. I pray that you would give, uh, give us uh, the voice of peace, the transcendent and eternal message that truly brings justice, that truly brings salvation, that truly brings blessings to the masses. Empower us to be the persons that you have called each of us to be. And we pray very humbly and very hopefully in Jesus' name. Amen. Hi, Blue Water family. Thank you for joining us for today's worship service. We hope it was a blessing to you in your faith journey. Today's message really challenged us to fully embrace God's kingdom culture and mindset and let go of group thinking. If you'd like to make this shift and would like some prayer to help you along the way, please get in touch with our prayer team. They're available every Sunday from 10.30 to 11 a.m. They would also be happy to pray for you if you're in need of healing, you want a word from God, or if you're ready to give your life to Jesus. Simply email julie at bluewatermission.org to request prayer, and one of our prayer team members will contact you. In the book of Matthew, Jesus says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Our relationship with Jesus is designed to be centered on faith, hope, and love. As you enter this week, we pray you experience the richness and freedom that comes with that relationship. God bless you.